This week on Educational Triage, we are looking at why alternative ad and mainstream ad can't get along. This is the Educational Triage Podcast. Welcome. We invite you to come along with us on an exploration of interviews, issues, and other exciting and relevant topics in education, especially alternative education. They say alternative education is a laboratory for mainstream education. Why? Well, join us every week and listen in as Philip Summers and I, Tony Hunt, jump in feet first to discuss issues that may affect our classes, students, communities, as well as our teaching. Please subscribe if you enjoy and find relevance in what you experience here. And if you haven't left a quick review, please do. We appreciate your candor and insights so we can improve as we move forward. Now, let's see what's on board today. To join me, we have our wonderful co-host, Mr. Philip Summers. Howdy-do. Aloha, Tony. That's great. I love it. Why can't they get along? (laughs) Yeah. So I think that what the reason why I'm asking is because I was doing some research this week and just doing some reading and I was looking around and I discovered a somebody who was pivotal in a community's alternative settings and they had helped begun a sort of landmark program and they had retired, and when they look back, and they're, they're blogging about it, and they've discovered that the school district decided that it no longer fit what they wanted. And so it's, why do we have these separate norms? Why do we have people who see something that's benefiting students and the community yeah. saying, yeah, that's not really what we want? And we're seeing more and more of it. It's almost like a corporate takeover and getting rid of the Mm. things that are beneficial rather than the things that are, I don't know, fundamentally counterintuitive to what we actually want to do with students in education, which Mm. is educate them, make Mm -hmm. sure that they have a good understanding, not leave any student behind or... Do we want to leave students behind? So I don't know if that's really what we're after, but I don't know. So defining alternative education, we would say alternative ed is anything that is not mainstream education. It's something that's more innovative, something that takes a different approach to how students learn. Mm -hmm. Um, As in the opening quote of last week's, episode, the student mentioned cookie cutter programs, which is what mainstream is basically done. And Mm -hmm. they needed something that was different. And so alternative ed is more free form, you could say, but it's got restrictions on it. And it's actually in many ways far more rigorous because a student has to be able to accomplish a lot more in a lot lot less time in order to get to the goal towards graduation. Yeah. Well, And uh, alternative uh, yeah. ed is the platform by which they can do it. Go ahead. 
Well, just to play devil's advocate, it's uh, cookie cutter programs are um, a great way to ensure that those that are beneath you are doing what you want them to do. Uh, and they're doing it on the same timeline, per se, uh, with the same materials and the same generally predicted budget and such. So as far as like running a company goes, cookie cutter programs are outstanding. They, uh, they're uniform, they're standardized, which is great for results. Uh, they're really cheap. They don't really take a professional to administer them. I mean, you know, let's face it, uh, kind of a program. And if you manipulate programs really well, you can get those pretty well and you know, get the content pretty well and then you can administer those tests well because you just give the permission on the program and the student takes the test and then you see how they did on the test and you can administer the curriculum that they would need from there um really effective <laughs> however once you put students into that equation everything goes sideways i mean everything like there's no standardized student that i know of I mean, no, <laughs> they defy lot. They defy definition. And I mean, at one class of eighth graders, I guarantee you, you've got a bunch of them that can't perform it above a sixth grade level. And you got some of them that are performing at the junior level in high school. I mean, it's just happening. <laughs> so <laughs> what do and you do with that? Well, the, the problem is, is that they expect every student to filter in and be able to do the same thing. At the same time. Yeah. At the same time. Yeah. Yeah. The same way almost. But yeah. Now, mm, now yeah. I think we've done this before, but if we take a look at when you and I were growing up, we had, there was a lot more time spent where our parents would just kick us out of the house. Yeah. Yeah. And we would play in our neighborhoods and we would be playing with our friends. We'd be riding bikes during the winter. We'd be on the sleds. We'd be making, we'd have snowball fights. We'd be doing yeah. all kinds of stuff. Sports, yeah. It, yeah. I mean, there are a lot of kids who do sports, but we used to play baseball. We used to play football. We used to play tag. Like forts, we like used to play hide forts and in a tree. We used to build tree forts out of scrap wood. That's yes. I didn't, I didn't yes. say sports. I said forts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'd do crazy stuff. I mean, I don't know why I sat in a board 30 feet in a tree that I myself had nailed in there, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, but the thing is, is that we did things. I mean, we really yeah. were able to explore. And now kids seem more relegated and more comfortable just sitting at home playing online videos. Well, and another thing, too, and I don't recall having homework until junior high. I never had homework as an elementary school kid ever, ever, ever. Oh, I did. Oh, I never did. They never sent home. They might have occasionally sent homework, but it wasn't a regular thing. It, it um, wasn't like part of my life. No, we had to. Grade. In hmm. both in both public and private school, I had to do both. Huh. Yeah, I was in public school. It happened in the seventh grade when we started getting homework. Yeah, oh. I remember that wow. well. Like, well, I'll be darned. They're right. You don't get homework till the seventh grade. So, wow. And you know, we did the homework. Well, I tried yeah. to. I did. I tried to shove it off. Of course, you did. <laughs> I remember. I remember in Mister Dickey's class, 
Yeah. They're studying poetry and we had to make a poetry booklet and we had to, mm. we didn't have to parse through the poetry, but we had to explain mm. certain things and I can't remember. But I remember I was up until 4 a.m. doing that assignment that I was supposed to have started two weeks prior. So it was almost like a poetry journal. And so I had to change my handwriting. I had to do all kinds of things in order to get it done. So I was not. And then my mother said, why aren't you getting up on time? Why are you oversleeping? And I said, I'm just really tired. I was up late doing my homework. And, I'm practicing um, for college, Ma. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I wasn't a big advocate of it. And the truth is, is that I tried to help students do their homework in class. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, because I know that they're busy. I know that they have jobs. I know that they have added right. responsibilities. I know that other teachers are putting things on them. And so I learned early on in my career that the more I could give them the time to get things done and to make it part of the right. classroom activity so when they leave, they, they're they already prepared for the next day. Yeah, There might be a yes. wee little thing that maybe they could try, but we'll figure it out by the next day. Excellent point. I don't want to get too deep into the homework thing, but you're right. I don't want to send home just work. I want to send home stuff that's meaningful. And right. in order to do that, I can't, control it if it goes out of the classroom so much. So I'd rather them do it with me. We work through it. It's done. And you're ready for the next day. That's perfect. Mm-hmm. I like that. Because there's so much left undone if you just give it to them and go, do this. <laughs> right. Now, I do yeah. know of a group of kids, and they were doing something that was kind of like a fight club. And uh-huh. so, really? but it wasn't really uh, a fight club. It was just kind of a thing for them to get together and say that they had a fight club. But it was all these kids from different neighborhoods and they would all congregate together and they all got along. I mean, nobody was after anybody. And nobody huh. showed up with any cuts and bruises and black eyes or anything. And, <clears throat> but the thing is, is that club. they were socializing. They were all getting along. They were all doing something together. They weren't stuck in their homes. They were getting exercise. They were networking, as it were, with each other. Networking, yes. And the school administration found out about it and squashed it. Because they could not condone a fight club. Although it was happening about a mile off campus at 7.30 at night. Yeah, I can't, I don't know if they can... uh... It's anything about that. It's all about control, right? But then you well, have parents who are saying, these are kids from your school, take care of it. Rather than the parents saying, let me talk to the other parents and let's see what we can find out about it. Because they right. refuse to talk. So we're coming up against this little thing where they expect the Corporation of Education to take care of any problems that they might foresee with their children. Mm-hmm. And in alternative ed, we basically take the kids where they are. And if they're doing something outside of school, it's kind of like anecdotal. If it's something yeah, yeah. that's really naughty, we kind of advise against it, but we have confidentiality around it. So mm-hmm. 
Um, so well, there's always mandatory reporting and things that keep things from being things from being criminal. Well, so exactly. Yeah, if, if I think, know something, and just to that's make sure criminal, that we're I have to report it. Yeah, <laughs> it's not like I'm gonna. Oh, you did what? Uh, robbed houses and beat people? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm keeping that under my hat because you're my student. No, that's right. But, yeah, yeah, you can't. Do that. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, so let's look at the curriculum. And yeah. you will find uh-huh. in some mainstream classrooms that they've they use some of the strategies that we use in alternative ed. For example, mm-hmm. there might be something with project-based learning, and they might apply that. Um, a very hands-on science, you're going to find a lot of hands-on. Mm-hmm. Do you find a lot yeah. of project-based learning in social studies? You can, but I don't know. Uh, at, at the secondary know level, how many people do it? Uh, there can be, but you know, it all depends. I think it's probably more elective classes. I think if you got U.S. history, no. I mean, there might be a project in there somewhere, but it's technically going to be like a exam class, maybe a midterm, a final per semester, that sort of thing. You know, is it pretty uh, much? You may lecture? have a project. A lot of it is lecture. Yeah, unfortunately, there's. Uh, it, with the canned um, content, it's, you know, in sequence lecture um, sort of thing. But if you would, if you would track, I've, I've attacked history in, in different ways, like thematically um, or, uh, you know, like in certain minority systems, like mm-hmm. looking at African-American history and only that, things like that. Then it becomes less canned and sequential. But yeah, if it's U.S. history, it's usually just sort of. Every year. And the worst part is over the years, everyone had to be at like the war of 1812 or something, you know, by a certain date. <laughs> it's like, what? Yeah. How does that work? What do you leave out? <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. Yeah. With alternative ed, you usually expect that the students have been exposed to something or other, that they know something. I do remember, and I think I brought this up before yes. when I had two students who are supposed to report on the American Revolution and discovered that we lost the war and that British actually took over. And uh, all the mouths of all the students listening to the presentation were on the floor. And I was just very curious. And so I started probing and asking questions. And how were they do their research? Well, they had the right books. It's just that there was some really? kind of cognitive dissonance that just did not work for them. I don't know. Really? I don't want to say that it was dyslexia. Oh. I just want to no. say that it was no. a misperception of what they were reading compared to what they understood. And maybe they didn't do as much of the correct research as they were supposed to do. You would think they would have run into some contradictions there. Like, what? Wait, we won the war? (laughs) But see, this is another problem. Teachers don't like it when students question. You're right, kind of. Because it puts them behind schedule. And sometimes they feel as though they are being challenged as to their authority. That's true. That's true, especially when it comes to like... Eric, bow to my authority. <laughs> yeah, authority. I love it. It's you're, you're absolutely right. Don't ask too many big questions because that's we don't have time for that. I've heard that said actually. We don't have time to to go into that. And I'm like, what? That was a great question. And see, I'm in alternative time. ed, you have that 
you have that ability. Yeah. yeah. If somebody wants to ask a question, they can. If somebody wants to ask, why, why John Locke? <laughs> What's so great about John Locke? Right. Well, let's look into it. How long does it take? Maybe 10, 15, 20 minutes? Uh, they, uh, that's a lot of time, too. For them to actually go in there. However, does it go for deeper learning? Does it allow them to start understanding and and manifest the ability to dig deeper into the material and figure things out? The art of being a teacher, once you get somebody like that, you can coach them, prod them, push them into finding their answers, adding just enough but not too much. It's the art of teaching. Yeah. And, you know, what was really cool, I remember I took this, the Bible is literature class, but I also had the same professor for Victorian lit and for medieval lit. And he used to say, somebody would ask a question and he'd say, oh, wonderful question. Is there anybody in here who would like to do a presentation on that the next period for no extra credit? So I'd always raise my hand. Just a mess with them? No. No, no. I would raise my hand because it was something that I wanted to find out. But Uh, I also, but see, he and I knew each other by this point. And so, because I used to do those. I used to do Ah, these extra things and I used to come up with things. Um, Because I just remember I had to do a presentation on War of the not War of the Worlds. What was the other, the time machine? H.G. Wells. Oh, yeah. H.G. Wells. And so we were talking about it, and he had not realized, or else he feigned ignorance, about <laughs> what, an, what, what an SOB the main character was. And he said, why do you say that? And I said, well, he doesn't really care about anybody. He has no empathy. He has no sympathy. And he said, why? And I said, within two paragraphs, he's gotten rid of the female character and he moved on for her to die. There was no time for him to save her. It was all about him. He's a selfish guy. What do you see? And (laughs) and so, you know, but that's what we need. We need kids to go in there and they can ask questions about things because it adds to our own learning. Right. Because they have different well, yeah. epiphanies than we do. What's that? There's a there's a uh, sort of a perception that the formula of curriculum is also tied into the time you have sitting in your seat. I think that's very interesting too. A seat time, Carnegie hours, and the thing. And I do recall that back in the day when we were running a program, we had a lighter, uh, a shorter schedule. Mm-hmm. But a lot of kids would stay after or come before, you know, and we'd do a little work that way with them. And when the woman that took over the job for uh, curriculum instruction, uh, way back when, not this is a different person, she came and toured the uh, school and she walked in, she looked around, saw the kids doing stuff. She goes, well, these don't look like alternative education kids. <laughs> Yeah. And then she took her on a tour and she was fairly ignorant about how anything could possibly work there. And and uh, later on, the district raised our hours 
made us incorporate more Carnegie seat hours and everything. So we had less flexibility, ironically. We had to fill time, you know, in classes instead of like hold labs or discussions before and after school, things like that. So it actually inhibited learning. It's requiring seat time. But But see, they're going back. See, that's the problem. The fact that the head office of the corporation Mm -hmm. doesn't understand how alternative ed works and how you could have more Carnegie hours with those students if you just <laughs> let it happen. Because the students right. do come in early. They do stay later. They want, yeah. they really want to be there. And mm-hmm. you actually have more contact hours than you do with most of the students in the mainstream class. Yes. And there's one more issue I didn't think about. And I just came to my mind is how the buses run the districts. Now that's a, that's an institutional thing, school buses, and they do run districts because if the school buses can't do their thing, then buildings can't schedule their openings or whatever. Right. And we'd had a group of students that would come because the buses had to deliver them like an hour late every day. And it was just accepted. And the district accepted that. But at the same time, they were pushing us up, seat time Carnegie, except that the buses can't accommodate. Well, then, you know, we'll not work. We'll not worry about the seat time so much. And so there's a definite hypocrisy there. It's kind of like we're serious about this, except if it inhibits the institutional efficiency. And then, well, we'll make exceptions, even if the square peg doesn't fit the round hole. Yeah, it feels a little... Monty Python-esque. It's like a little bizarre. Almost it's like run Brazil. like a company. Yeah. It's the just, movie like, Brazil. It drives me nuts. Yeah, Brazil with Tony, Terry Gilliam, actually. Didn't he direct that? Yeah. I think so. So yeah. that's why it's Monty python for sure. But also with the curriculum, I think we're looking at holistically challenging the child or the student. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not giving them the cookie cutter. I mean, you can give them parts of the cookie cutter, but you want them to explore. You want them to find out. You can have a pathway and they can go down and they need to get to a certain place. But by the same token, you need to be able to challenge them and let them move at their own pace. And these alternative kids are really doing that. So when you put them in a structure, it kind of inhibits them. Holds things back. But for some of them, they take a look at the freedom because they are given accountability. Yeah. But it's sort of like, okay, for the summer, you need to go out and get a summer job. And then they're very Mm. passive aggressive and they don't do it. And then it's sort of like, okay, you have money for the vacation. No, I don't. You're going to have to give me some. Well, I guess you're not going on the vacation, right? What do you mean? Well, you were supposed to work so that you could earn money for the vacation and you never got a job. Well, Mm. that's not fair. So there's this weird entitlement. And you have the same thing with some students who come into alternative ed who think that they don't have to do anything because they got away with Uh it earlier. But then they find themselves in danger of not being in the program, let alone in danger of not graduating with all of their friends. Yeah, that's a powerful motivator. I had one such student, and I still remember the students were all working very, very hard. 
And I want to say, because we did not teach the last period of the day, that was our prep period, this program was packed with students. <laughs> and this was between three, four weeks before graduation. And so one week before graduation, this parent comes barreling in with her child in tow. And I don't want to call him a child. He was a young man. I mean, he was, he was huge. And she came in and she said, why is my son not getting his graduation materials? And you could tell there was absolute fear in this kid's eyes. And I said, because he doesn't qualify for graduation. And she said, why not? And I looked at him and I said, how many credits have you given me so far this year? And he said, I don't know. And I said, let's pull out your last credit report. So I pulled it out and I showed mom. She said, I've never seen this before. And I said, I send them to you. I send home emails. I have met with you in the counselor's office. We have talked. The counselor has spoken to you while I was there. I know you know these things. Mm -hmm. So you cannot feign ignorance on this. Well, how many credits does he need to get? And I said, he still needs five credits in order to graduate. And Ooh. she said, well, how's he going to get those? And I said, I don't Back know. Next year. <laughs> but he hasn't, you know, I've been after him for the last two weeks and he still won't get any work done. Mm -hmm. So that's up to you. You motivate your child. And she said, can he go to the community college? I said, yes, he could. Mm -hmm. And he could also go for his GED or he could become a fifth year and get everything finished within the first quarter and then move on. Yeah. And she said, no, no, no. He needs to graduate with his with his peers this year. And I said, not gonna happen. That can't happen. Unless not five credits. And I always, I always loved using this one term, which is that will happen when the hand of God comes down from the heavens <laughs> and shows me his work. And I can hear the Almighty saying, this is good work. This, this gets at least a B. <laughs> then he can graduate. And she just turned oh, and she looked at the kid and said, why haven't you been doing your work? And then it was a whole drama. And so they just went out. And he ended up going to another high school the next year. But. Wow. Interesting. You're right, though. It would have been the first quarter, maybe the semester. He'd have been totally finished. You know? Right. So the thing is, is that just because they go into an alternative program doesn't mean that they don't do anything. In fact, it becomes more intensive yeah. because they have the work, they see the work that they need to do, and they have to yeah. accomplish at least most of the programs that I know of. Every quarter, um, I think you were in a program where it was every four to five weeks yeah, that four or five they weeks had to have accomplished X, Y, X number of yeah. credits in order to stay in, plus their attendance. So, yeah. um, I did want to say that when kids kids resist that structure, I said earlier, or resist structure, that was generically wrong. Um, the structure that we had in our alternative settings was was relevant structure. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you're required to be at school. If not, call. Uh, you're required to do a certain amount of work because we're doing the math. And if you want to graduate like your friends with your other friends, then you need to do X amount of work per per four weeks. And so that structure was comforting to them because it was relevant and pretty darn simple. And we could enforce it really well because we assessed it, like you said, every four weeks. So if a kid was doing like English, every, you know, every four weeks for like 12 weeks, it's like, okay, guess what? <laughs> it's time to look at some science and things like that. It's, it, there's, it's an art to it, but the kids would understand that system. And they felt good with that structure. It gave them comfort because they knew it was equitable mm-hmm. and it was realistic. And it, there was reality to it. It right. wasn't just because it's a rule. It's because you want to graduate and we're doing the math and you need to do X amount of work per quarter or per four weeks to get that mm-hmm. done. Yeah. And I do a lot of reading and I see a lot of people that are talking about alternative ed and they say, it's all packets. Oh. Well, what kind of packets are they? Just saying it's a packet. I used to create packets, but the packets right. had choose your own adventure kind of qualities where right. you would go and you would take something and then you would deviate and go into your own into your own way of looking at an issue. And it wasn't and so, your primary curriculum. Packets it was my the, primary the mode curriculum. of the day. Well, no, I mean, generally speaking, though, when you were teaching, packets weren't everything. It, packets weren't all the work it was. Well, there was actually, besides that. Well, in, in, no, in the program that I last had, oh. it was. Oh, so you did. Okay. So you relied on, okay, care. Okay. See, we, and we here's why. Some of this Let me explain like to you why. That's many not. Yeah, I think I know why. Go ahead. We have 45 students. Every one of mm-hmm. them needs something different. Yeah. Many of them need the same things. However, when we're trying to get them to graduate, we create sort of a plan for them. And so let's say that we start off in September with them and we have this, this chart and it's quarter one, quarter two, quarter three, quarter four. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to figure out, okay, are you taking any classes? Yes. Okay. So we'll put that there and then we will mark down how many credits they're going to get from that class in quarter one and quarter two. In order for them to stay in our program, they had to get, I believe it was two credits per quarter. Got it. That was the bare minimum because that was the bare minimum that they would need at the high school anyway. However, they had the chance to take either first period or fifth period or fourth period at the high school. They couldn't do both on Uh, the same day because we needed to have them there for at least one period a day. The other times, everything else was, okay, you need freshman English, sophomore English, junior English, and senior English. Now, Mabel over here passed all of her English and she only needs senior English. But you, Philip, you need to have all four years. So what am I going to do with you? I have to get you on a path that you can earn those credits. So here's what we do. We sit you down. You have tons of things that you can do on your own. You have different kinds of projects that you can do. If you have an idea for something else, we'll give it to you. Right. You tell me which classes have students 
reading an entire book and then having to write a paper and completing a project and doing all kinds of other things in order to get that done. And that would be a semester project. The whole thing would take, no, you can get it done in less than a semester, but that means that you are doing intensive reading and intensive writing. And you get two classes from us at a time. So while you're doing that, maybe you're doing some kind of math. Maybe you haven't passed algebra Mm -hmm. yet. So we work with with the math teachers in order to get you to pass that math class and then we figure out another way for you to earn another math credit because you have to have three in order to graduate, maybe. And some of these kids uh, that you're teaching were taking classes at the high school itself, too. Right. From teachers in high school. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, that, yeah. And that, then for history, critical. yes, you have a packet, packet but a lot of it yeah. is yeah. geared towards deeper right. learning. Right. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. So that's how it goes. So if a kid can make it through on their, because, they need to have they need to have the motivation to get through there but they're also going out to internships and jobs and they're getting skills that way so that gives them some uh it gives them some career related learning but it also gives yeah. them some uh electives yeah now they also learn building a resume there's also financial learning that they have uh-huh. to do and they have to do economics. They have to do all these things. And there are so many different things, but they are all according to the standards. Yes. Now, yeah. interesting thing is I went to the district and I said, okay, instead of having snow days, why don't we have it set up so that teachers can do things with their students online during the snow days. And that way we don't have to make them up. Mm -hmm. Because I'm sure that parents would love to be able to know that their kids are online and that they're not losing anything. And I think this was around 2014 that I went through this with them. And they said, absolutely not. I said, why not? We could start with flipped learning. We could start with all kinds of ways for them to do it. And then I started creating other packets because when we did the high school completion and credit recovery programs, and I had to have curriculum clear across the board, we had all those things along so that when we had snow days, our kids could be working on their projects and I would be available for them. And they said, you can't do that. And I said, why can't I? Then all of a sudden, we're in lockdown, and they're saying, oh, this is what we have to do. So here's how everybody is going to do it. So I And I was mandated to go to these meetings. And somebody said, why are you like coming in late? I said, because we're already doing this, and I'm working with kids already. They said, what do you mean you're already doing it? I said, all of our curriculum is already online. Because I wanted the kids to be able to access everything right there. So if they forgot mm-hmm. something at school, they could access it online. Easy peasy. I mean, it just goes without saying. But they did not like that idea. So, also, the people who teach in alternative education should be, I'm going to shut all over this, 
they should be able to understand content standards across the curriculum. Yeah. And, uh, I agree. That seems daunting, uh, you know, but it's not. It isn't. It's not. If you've had start learning, it's common sense. If you've had a decent upbringing in education, you should be able to mm-hmm. do it. You should, you should be you should able, be able to, to teach writing. Most of the blanks. Yeah. I mean, I had teachers, I had science teachers who were coming to me saying, can I check in with you about what I'm doing here? And I said, yes. And so they showed yeah. me and I said, you've got it. I said, you don't need me to mentor you. You have this. You understand what it is. Mm-hmm. And so they're nailing kids right and left on all kinds of things. And so, but they were still learning stuff too, because they were coming to me and they said, oh my gosh, I had no idea about da 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 And I yeah. said, awesome. I said, now you see, I, I had to do all that learning on a very steep curve and you're kind of getting it gradually, but it's awesome. And other teachers were furious because they thought the kids were getting off easily, but they weren't getting off easily. They were just able to do it in their time. And so if they didn't understand something, here's the thing. They didn't have the inconvenience of having a teacher what they will and will not do every day. Yeah. And then they also did not have to listen to the teacher. Unless they had a question, then they could say, I have a question. Can you help me? Uh, it is amazing to me, but I see it clearly. There's a sort of a specialization in um, secondary education due to subject, you know, but teachers are teachers and you should be able to teach almost anything really. And I mm-hmm. mean, I would give it up for the math teacher. They're they're much more effective than I am. But if I'm tasked to teach math, guess what I'm studying and learning with the kids? Right. And for the kids. And yeah, I everything is fair game because learning's learning. And I, that's you know, that's the secret to my teaching is I teach kids how to learn, not what to learn. Exactly. That's the point. Yeah. And when I sit down with a student who's doing their math and I that rather than me doing their work, because a lot of times they want you to sit down and help them figure out what the what the answer is so they don't have to do yeah. the work. And you say, if I give you that answer, you can't pass the test. Because the test is going to check to see whether or not you understand the process. If you don't right. understand the process and the formulas, then you can't move on. So yeah. d- let's not waste time. So what I want you to do is explain to me how this works and do the problem explaining it out loud to me. And if you can do that, you can use your notes on the test. Right. And they're like, but it says I can't use the notes. And it's like, they're not watching you. I am. (laughs) Use your bloody notes. I would rather that you pass the test and understand what it is that you're doing. Because when you come up against that, then you know where it is in your notes. Right. And you can, especially mathematics. You know, one of the things about mathematics is you're supposed to have this exact answer, you know, and if you're, if it's 10.75 and you come up with 10.73, that's wrong. And it's like, well, but it's close. And that's true. It is close. Mm -hmm. And if you're learning process, you know, you may have made a little misstep, but it almost seems like in math, wrong answer, 
wrong everything. <laughs> it's so intimidating. Well, and so you have to learn to kind of get good with that, or, you know, guesstimate, get close, understand that your procedure's got a little flaw in it. And it's not just all to throw away because the answer was wrong. <laughs> well, when they, when they score on a Scantron, though, it has to be exact. Oh, and there's well, no that's the nature of math. process. There's the nothing looking at the process. It, yeah. Right. And math's a process. And kids don't, they don't screw up the process utterly and completely when they come up with a wrong answer. Mm -hmm. But they feel like they had, like, oh, I, from the very get-go, I must have been wrong. <laughs> it's like, no, it, there's just a minor twist or turn here somewhere. Uh, and I think they should grade easily or a little more easily with math. <laughs> and you can also, with the students, I remember when I did Jennifer Gonzalez's um, summer program, which I loved, I came out with all these different technological programs and ideas. And I kind of had the students play around with them too. So part of their project was to understand them so that I could work with them on those. So in a sense, we're working as a team on their project to see what we can find out. And we came up with some really cool stuff. And you can do that. But you can't do that in a mainstream classroom because you have to monitor everybody. Right. In true, in alternative ed, you are monitoring. But it's more of a community. Well, you were the exception by putting all of your stuff online. And if you said, or if they said everyone should put everything they have online, like Tony Hunt does, <laughs> I imagine there'd be an awful lot of people that would be very upset and angry because of a multitude of reasons, but they just wouldn't like the reason at all. And then it just wouldn't work because it's not uniform. Everybody's not doing it. You can't have an outlier or an exception. Everyone's got to be part of the rule. And so you were prevented from putting everything online. Well, or, you know, despite I mean, the fact that we had a very rate, successful right. program and that we raised the graduation rate, which was what they yeah. were after from 86, 88% up to 94, 96% right. for that building. And they kept saying, you need to share it with the other high school. And I said, I can't do that yet. Right, yeah. Because we're still we're still adjusting and monitoring everything that we have to make sure. And I said, and then we will be ready to do it next year. Well, by the next year, the teachers that they had placed in the alternative program at the other high school who did not understand alternative ed and did not want to do alternative ed, except they wanted to put all the kids on online programs so they didn't have to do any work. So either the kids did the work or they didn't do the work. And that allowed them to watch game films, to plan, to do everything for the other two classes that they had because they were only part-time, and then they did coaching. Dear. And because oh, dear. Yeah. networkingly, they were schmoozing with people at the front office, hmm. the front office said, oh, that's a wonderful idea. We'll just have everybody do it now because it works for you. It works for the the system. The organization probably loved that. It because they the didn't want to have to do any grading. They didn't want to have to do any work. 
So where does alternative ed get a bad rap? From people that they put into alternative ed who don't want to do any work. Well, that's true. Yeah, they're just babysitters. Well, there was the person whose place I took when I came into the program used to sit at his desk, yell at kids, and when they turned things in, wouldn't even look at it, just marked it down as done and put it away. Wow, didn't look for quality or anything? Nothing. Really? Wasn't worth their time. Oh, I I must sound like a hayseed. That that happened? Oh, my gosh. I just, I'm sorry. I'm just projecting. What I mean is, I would never do that. That sucks. That is wrong. (laughs) Wrong 10 different ways. (laughs) That's what I mean. And the kids were not, the the word fond would not come up in any student's vocabulary when discussing him. Mm -mm. No, or respect or... Yeah, I imagine they turned in some real garbage <laughs> once they found out he wasn't looking at it. Well, yeah. I mean, why? I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would put in some, I would see how bad I could do and still get credit, honestly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when we look at pedagogies, when we look at curriculum, they're night and day. But, you know, you do have some sunset, you do have some dawn where there might be yeah. some commingling. But other than mm-hmm. that, they don't get it, and they can't get along because even the head office, who thinks, yes, we have to do this just for retention, but they will, yeah. by God, comply. Yeah. And they will do yeah. what we tell them to do. There is no innovation. And so I don't know why. I really don't know what they're so afraid of unless it has more to do with control. Hmm. So, and now let's take a look at the populations. Who are the populations that are flocking to alternative ed programs today? I went over the data for the last program that I was in. And when, let's say around the year 2000 and prior, it was mostly white, Caucasian, with a smattering of um, people of color. Now, it's highly populated by people of color mm-hmm. with a smattering of white. Yeah, it's true. But nothing has changed. Nothing has really changed as far as what the program stands for, what the rules and the intent and the mission of the program are. And so the district said they will do this computer platform for all their learning. I said, whatever. They said, no, we mean it. I said, whatever. I said, are we an alternative program? And they said, yes. And I said, do you think all students learn best by computers? Well, they're on them all the time. I said, do you think that all students learn best on the computer? And they could not give me a straight answer. And I said, our students can't all learn on the computer. They can do some of it on the computer. But Mm -hmm. our students come from such a background that putting them on the computer for as long as you want them on the computer is going to elicit depression and other mental health issues. And I won't won't allow that. And the response, you will do what you're told. 
And I said, yeah. I'm sorry, but I ain't your slave. Well, that's a recipe for getting canned. Well, guess what? They left me alone. Canned. They left me alone. Did they? Yeah, you're rare because most people just, they, they go to work on you. They start making things pretty bad for you and they start talking to you and about real interesting things that have nothing to do with teaching and you, you just kind of blow them off. And yeah, that's what happened to me. I just didn't realize that they could do that. I thought they just had to put up with my extravagance of going, no, that's stupid and I'm not going to do that. <laughs> well, see, i I was a rebel from the time I came into that district, but yeah. I think what made them nervous was the fact that I had connections. It might be. I was a rebel ever since, but that act wore thin eventually. Yeah. It can yeah. until they realize yeah. that you're speaking to people. And when they talk to people that are above them and they mention my, and those people who I know on a personal level, yeah. Ask, hey, how's so and so doing down there? Just love him. Then they call me and they yeah. say, Did I do good? <laughs> nice. I, like, oh I needed that. So, but the populations are something to take into account. Because when we're looking at equity, we need to, we can't have equitable outcomes unless the equitable outcome is graduation. And that's only going to be achieved because they are at a certain level. I cannot allow a student who cannot read to graduate from high school. I cannot allow a student who cannot write to graduate from high school. Yeah. Students need to be able to perform or be, or be functional. And not at the base level, but at a higher level, because I don't want them going out into the world thinking that they are less than. Mm -hmm. Because many of them, they've grown up with that, and I want to build that back. The soft bigotry of low expectation. Yeah, we had a little chat with that, about that, with with Dr. Rosemary. Yeah, I know. It, it's just so true. It's they. Everyone's supposed to like the expectations. Everyone's supposed to follow the same curriculum, and no one's following through with the logic of and what results will that produce? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they say no, you will pass them or else. Uh-huh. I have parents who were. I had a parent <laughs> who was furious with me because their son hadn't even done a half a credit in a semester. And I made all sorts of accommodations. And I finally said, your son will no longer, your son is not getting any credits. And they said, our son says that he earned four credits. And I said, your son hasn't even earned half a credit. Mm. I'm still waiting for his English to show up that I gave him Mm. back in September. And I don't know where the other one is, but if he can get me that and he can get me a decent paper by X date, yes, I could pass him. And I looked at it and I thought, okay, this is C level, but okay, I'll do it. 
<laughs> when I've done that, I grit my teeth and go, okay, this is sea level. I'd rather you go out with a better skill than this. But and then <laughs> and then they put him into another school and same thing started to happen. And I don't know, but I heard three years later that he graduated. Was he late graduating? Was he a fifth year senior, perhaps? He was a six year. There's senior. no shame in that. He was ah, a six year. Six year. Well, but see, he had. Say, there's no shame being a fifth. The year. reason for it, though, was the fact that he had not done any work. He refused to do yeah. any work. Oh, and yeah. and his problem with when I was working <laughs> with him was that he was malnourished. Mm. He was. Um, his, his parent who he lived with, um, I think was in a deep state of depression. And the only way this student could get to work or get to school was that the parent drove because they lived eight blocks away, but the parent had to wake him up. So if the parent was out or just didn't feel like getting up, the student wasn't there. And so there were all these tardies. There were all, yeah. you know, there were, there were several problems. And the only problem I had with the tardies was the fact that that kept him from being able to go to his internships, which was one of the primary pieces of the whole thing. But wow. he wasn't, they were, they didn't have any money. And so he wasn't eating any protein. And he was an athlete. There you go. And, and this was why they were kicked out. They loved their pot. Mm-hmm. Could not afford wow. food. Could not afford good food, but could always afford to be stoned off their brain. Smart enough to carry around a jar of pee, though, which security found, and then they called me. Oh, God. So, yeah. So, I mean, students have different things going on than what most of us really realize. And there's only Mm -hmm. so much we can do, but we try to work with them. And so I think alternative ed is a more, it focuses in on the humanity of the student and of the family. Right. We try to really get in there. And so if there's pushback, then we only know what we know. Now, if I had 150 students a day because I'm teaching 35 students in four periods, which would be 140, but I have I have different classes every other day. Yeah, sure. I, I can't I, that's a reasonable number. For, I can't uh, I can't possibly do that. I can, I can try to do it as much as I can, but yeah. not with all the grading and all the other prep and everything else that uh, you're allowed that you have, and that brings us to budget and resources. <laughs> all that is expensive in a lot of ways sometimes. A lot except, of ed, a lot of. Except when you look at the delinquent and neglected youth funding, when you look at the reengagement funding, when you look at the RTI funding, wow. when you look you at they get some special ed funding. Yep. There are all kinds of funds that you can dip into that will help. That's what would that really helped out, yeah. Yeah. And, I make no apologies for it. 
being that way and a lot of it's just the student service is better the teaching's better the learning's better but if the if if the districts let me ask you this yeah if districts cut their administration load by one half How much money would they save, and how many more teachers would they have, and how much more could they spend per pupil? Wow, I suspect uh, those numbers would increase. I would not know how much. I wouldn't be surprised if they significantly increased. Because, but, how many administrators do you need? Apparently, uh, 10 administrators to every single teacher, I suppose. It feels that. Just to make sure they do what you need to do. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. It's just, it's run like a business in a lot of ways, you know, and administrators sure seem to be like bureaucrats and middle managers. And it's like, holy cow, do we we have to have them everywhere? They are, and then you they get are. some of those who are working in alternative ed who don't give a hoot about the kids. Yeah, they don't care about teaching or learning or kids or anything. Right. Yeah, yeah they don't. So, they really don't. Like these don't look like alternative ed kids. Like mm-hmm. what? What were you expecting an alternative ed kid to look like? Now let me ask this: How often do administrators? In a regular school, come over to your program. How often do board members come to your program? How often do district office personnel come to your program or school? How often do parents, how often do community members come? And what's that role? Or in our thing, the in, in my last program, the superintendent came over one time and looked absolutely bored. Hmm. And when they were being told about the program, they just sort of rolled their eyes and walked out. That was the only time that we saw this person in our program. The principal only saw that person one time in our program, and that was when we fed him. Oh, wait, no, two times. When we fed him, and then there were three or four other times when he would come in to try to corral our space for meetings. That was it. We had very, very little As far as evaluations went, I was evaluated once in the 15 years I was there. And I said, why? And they said, we don't know how to evaluate you. Really? I said, well, talk to me, and I'll explain to you how to evaluate me. They said, well, we just don't have time for all that. And I said, okay, fine, whatever. (laughs) You don't have time for all that. Okay. That's an interesting answer. 
or else they say, I know what you do. And I say, what do I do? What? Mm -hmm. What do I do? Well, Mm -hmm. you, and they can't explain. Mm -mm. So. I wouldn't try to, if I didn't know. I just find it incredibly disrespectful. Because. I think they think of alternative ed as the ugly stepchild. There's something about that. Yeah, it's like nobody wants to acknowledge it's even existing in a district, let alone support it. Right, right. And as everybody I spoke to, administrators, teachers, students, community members, they all thought that that's where all the stoners, the druggies. Yep. The kids who were expelled for violence, those are the people, you know, it was sort of like this real gritty underground kind of place. And I said, well, gritty, yes, it kind of is because these kids have a lot more grit. They have a lot more fight to them. But underground, these kids are right in front of your face all the time. mm -hmm. And they're (laughs) They're children. You have to remember that they're children. They are, so, they are and there's somebody else's, I think somebody that you and I both know and love said, remember, they may be a pain in the butt to you, but for somebody, they're their little baby. They're their priceless <laughs> child. <laughs> they're they're priceless their little child. angel. <laughs> or at least so, they might see it that way. Some parents are wonderfully realistic. <laughs> yeah. anyhow anyhow we need to go okay yeah I'm sorry we don't get along mainstream ad I tried I'll work I'll work for it I'll work on it (laughs) no no the thing is is that I the the one thing I want people to take away is this if you're working in alternative ed, and if you get it, you've got to get mm-hmm. it. And you yeah, know if yeah. you've got it. Yeah. Hold your head up high. You do. Because you are, and I hate to qualify this, but I have to. There's just something really petty in me right now. <laughs> just know that you are a superstar. You fulfill far more than most teachers do. So know that you are a superstar and you carry that with you for the rest of the year, scholastic, and even the short year as we approach the end of it. So we're here. Well said. So thank you, Philip. Thank you, Tony. And until next week, keep reaching for the stars. Keep hoping for those kids, and we will see you then. Bye-bye. Aloha.